See, just a reminder, in the same way that we can hear a Bible verse a hundred times, and it can speak to us in different ways each time, same is true with songs that we've been singing for years, and we hear them in a fresh way. Thank you, Tom. That was wonderful. I'm, I'm now I'm thinking, Sally, I'm going to have to split your gift with the gift for Tom, because yeah, I'm, so, I'm just going to. Hey, welcome to our Big Words study. Now, Big Words is um, in the series here, we have a purpose, and part of that purpose is to have some fun. We want to cut through some of the big vocabulary words around theological ideas. Now, just remember that theological means words about God, the study of God, the talk about God, to understand God. That's what it's all about. So, in other words, it's great as Christ followers, as Christians, as church members, as people who are seeking after God, it's great to talk about God, but it's even better if we have a well-grounded biblical understanding that is shaping that conversation and the words we're using. So, we're taking a few weeks to look at some of the big words that represent big ideas about our big, big God. And all of these are going to be drawn from the book of Ephesians. So last week we started, we looked in Ephesians 1, and we looked at that word predestination. What a word to start with. Uh, And we're going to keep moving through the book, uh, chapter by chapter, section by section, and picking some of the big words that teach us about our big, big God. Today, we're going to be looking at the word redemption. Paul introduces this word in verse 7 of Ephesians 1. And then again, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he spends some time talking about redemption, what it looks like how it works. And so we're going to be focusing on those two things, Ephesians 1, 7, and then Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 in just a minute. Because while we're seeking to have some fun as we do this, there's always a method to our madness. There's a purpose behind our approach. There is a reason for what we are doing. And that reason is this, folks, quite simply, words. Words are important. So much so that when I, when I started this study and began the research some months ago on big words, I settled into a theme verse. I want you to see it. It's from John chapter 17, verse 8. Listen to what it says. This is Jesus speaking. For I have given them the words that you gave me, he's speaking to the heavenly Father, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I want you to focus on the words so that we can know in truth. This is why words are important. This is why we're looking at the big words. Because you see, we are called Christians, Christians. We are not called Wordians. We are not called Biblians. We are called Christians, Christians. And Jesus has said, I have given you words that help you to know the truth. 
God the Father gave the words to Jesus, and we have come to know and understand truth as we have received His words and the witness of those words. So today we're looking at one of those most beautiful words, the word redemption, one of those big Bible words that we use a lot in church, like justification and sanctification and, well, as we saw last week, predestination. The difference is between predestination and redemption, redemption is still a word that we use in everyday life. When I was a kid growing up, there were these things called green stamps. If you don't remember them, don't ask. It's too convoluted to explain. But every preacher I heard when I was growing up would talk about how we saved up the stamps and go back and redeem the book collections for Tupperware and other exciting things that families needed. My mother was a gigantic green stamp collector. That doesn't mean much today. That's, that's, that's done and gone. So I was thinking about redemption, how we used to actually heard it used this week as people were talking, because you know what's going on right now is this little thing they call the World Series. Getting ready to roll into this, we have a little more at stake in it than we normally do here in Washington. But they were going back and looking back over history and talking about important people and important players, and they focused on two who are kind of stuck outside of the Hall of Fame, two people who made great accomplishments, a fellow by the name of Mark McGuire who played for my favorite team, the Cardinals in addition to the Oakland A's and some other teams. And another very famous one, Roger Clemens. Red Sox, Yankees, Rangers. Unbelievable careers, the things they accomplished. Um, But they had a problem. They came along in an area where, era, where baseball players were finding interesting ways to use steroids, performance-enhancing drugs, and you may recall there was a rather famous, right here in town, right, a rather famous investigation by Congress, and they called people in and did a, a, a meeting, and they put some people on the spot, and, and Clemens consistently denied that he had ever done this in spite of the fact that there were others giving testimony that he had. Mark McGuire took the approach of uh, don't ask, don't tell. He just kind of refused to answer questions. I'm not here to judge either one of them. I'm I'm in awe of their sports careers, not so much in awe of their decision-making processes and the people that they surrounded themselves with at the time they were involved in these things. Whether they will ever get in the Baseball Hall of Fame is not for me to decide, and I'm not even going to make an argument that they belong there. It's awkward for me every Christmas when I take out my Mark McGuire Christmas ornament. (laughs) Told you I was a Cardinals fan. In some years, I just can't bring myself to hang it on the tree. It just it hurts too much to think about how you can get stuck there. And here's the problem. There were lots of other people who dabbled in and made use of. You know, the difference is, in particular for those two, so famous, so accomplished, their careers were over. They were retired when they appeared before Congress. So after they became known for this, Clemens was later. See, most people didn't remember. Do you, was Roger convicted? No. Clemens, all, everything eventually just unraveled on him. That doesn't mean he didn't do it. We all know how that works. He may have, he may not have, but he was never convicted of anything. But you know why he's not in the Hall of Fame? He had no opportunity for redemption. 
He couldn't reset the conversation. His career was done. He had no way to say, I'm going to come back out and show you. I've still got it. I don't need that. It's all his. No, he, he and McGuire were already retired. There was no way for them to say, let me change that image. Let me pay a price. Hold me accountable, but let me show you I can come back and do more. No. They could not reset the conversation. They could not find that moment of redemption. Uh, just before we leave the subject of baseball, go Nats. Uh, anybody here from Texas rooting for the Nationals? I got many friends, excuse me, for the Astros. I got a lot of friends down there. Love you. Sorry. We're coming for you. So uh, uh, go Nats. I, I was going to wear my polo shirt with Washington Nationals on it that I got the first year that they became, I, I ran out and bought one to wear, you know, the first season. Still got it. A little ratty. I decided I wouldn't impose it on you today. Go Nats. Redeem Washington, because the Redskins aren't going to do it anytime soon. Okay. Let's get back seriously to the topic of redemption. What does it mean, really, right? If we use it in modern language, we read it in Bible language, what does redemption really mean? What does it mean that God chooses to reveal Himself as Redeemer? What does it teach us about who He is and how He works in our lives and in this world and what He's about? I, I mean, I hope you were blessed by those Scripture readings that Clara did for us earlier on redemption. There are over 150 verses in the Bible that use that word, redemption, that mention God as our Redeemer. And so what I want us to do today is to expand our understanding of that big word, redemption, and our understanding of the God who is our Redeemer. The Bible Dictionary gives us a formal definition of what redemption is. Uh, I'm going to put it on the screen just to make it a little easier for you. Redemption is the deliverance of the people of God from the bondage of sin by the perfect substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ and their consequent restoration to God and His heavenly kingdom. I mean, that sounds like a Bible dictionary definition, doesn't it? I mean, it's a mouthful. It's a lot. So, what I want us to do is break it down because there are three key elements that really define what redemption is in the Bible. To make it easier on you, I did that preacher thing. I found three words that began with the letter R. So, here we go. If you're a note taker, this is on the back of your program for today. You can fill these in as we go. Here's the first thing. Redemption always involves rescue. It always involves rescue. It's the first part of redemption. Something of value that has been lost, something that has been ruined, something that has been taking, taken captive. The people of Israel, for example, were taken off. They were carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. They had to be redeemed and brought back. Roger Clemens, Mark McGuire lost the respect of many of their fans, perhaps their birth in the Hall of Fame. They lost it. They have to be redeemed. Many of us have things in our own lives that we are very, very aware of that we have stood in need of God's redemption. Here's what the Bible says. We need to be rescued. Isaiah 43 says this, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. 
You know, I argue sometimes with folks about what verses in the Bible can be taken literally and applied to us as God's people. This is one that can. Not just because I want it to, but because later in the New Testament, Jesus talks about how God knows the hairs on our heads and all. He knows our name. He calls us by name, every single one of us. And God created us, folks, for beauty, for joy, for goodness, for purpose, for love. Most importantly, He made us for Himself to enjoy a relationship with Him today and forevermore. And something happened along the way. We got lost. We got lost. Our relationship was damaged, broken down. We were taken captive. It was ruined. Our, our relationship was, with God was ruined by our foolishness and our recklessness. Oh, yes, we can point back to Adam and Eve. We can point back to all kinds of things. But the truth of the matter is we have ruined that relationship with God by our own actions. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all taken captive by sin. Let's be very clear here, folks. I am not using the passive voice. What do I mean by that? Sin isn't just something that happened to you. I got used to this when I was working as a dorm daddy. Did you know that college students, they've never done anything wrong? Stuff just happens. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how that beer can got in my, you know, on-campus room. I have no idea. Somebody came in during the night, put that on my dresser. I, I don't know how that got there. It just happened. No, sin did not just happen to us. We didn't just happen to be lost. We brought these things on ourselves. We've made choices, and we need to be rescued and redeemed. Now, Scripture goes on to identify some of the things that we need to be rescued from. Because maybe you're sitting there today and you say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that God loves me. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. God didn't really have to save me too much. Okay, well, let me, let me just a few verses for you. Here's one that, that uh, Clara read for us, Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. I mean, you ever really been lost in the dark? Now, I don't mean with city street lights. I'm talking about out in the dark, dark, out in the middle of nowhere, so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face, lost in darkness, confused, feeling forgotten, feeling alone. And when you're in the dark, you don't know exactly where you are, and you don't know exactly where you're going. Does that sound familiar? You don't know if you should hurry up. You don't know if you should slow down. You don't know if you should stop and, and wait and be still, or you should get the heck out of where you are because it's not a good place to be. It's hard. You're lost. You're confused. And if you've ever felt like you're in the dark spiritually, you're not sure who God is or where God is or who you are or where you are and what you're supposed to be doing in this world, folks, we need to be rescued from that darkness. That's what redemption is all about, rescuing us. Our main passage for today, Ephesians 2, if you've got your Bible, you can open it there and just kind of leave it there because we're going to refer back to it several times. In the first few verses of Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, as for you, you were dead. That's darkness, folks. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, 
we were by nature deserving of wrath. Not a good place to be. Lost, needing to be rescued. We need to be rescued from that wrath. We also need to be rescued from guilt. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, now I always think about this, the curse of the law. You think, well, but, but the law was supposed to be good. It was supposed to be given to help us be good. Well, what is the curse of the law? Here's the curse of the law. Instead of using it for good, we try to use the law to justify ourselves. This is the curse of the law. We, 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 instead of really focusing on obeying, most of the time we're just trying to justify ourselves, and we, we fail at it, and the curse of the law is then we get buried by guilt. See, that's why it's the curse of the law. You'll never be able to keep it all. There is none righteous, no, not one, is what the Bible says, right? So th then the guilt comes, and, and you're just burdened down by it. We're always falling short. We're always messing up. We need to be rescued from the burden of guilt and inadequacy. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We need to be rescued from emptiness. That's another one. 1 Peter 1.18, you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Now, he was, of course, speaking to people who had, he's saying, you, you, you know, you, you had previously followed all kinds of other religious thought. Folks, this, this thing you got to be careful of, right? In a world of multiculturalism like our church lives in, that, that's fine. It's, it's, great. it's great to learn from one another, but don't, don't think that that means that all gods are created equal. That was the battle that was already being fought in ancient times. It's not true. There is but one God. There is but one God, one Lord and Father of all, the Bible says. And you need to be redeemed, he says, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Now, maybe you're not feeling all that other stuff I've mentioned. Maybe you don't feel like you're in the dark. Maybe you hadn't felt all this guilt. Maybe you're not guilt. You know, you grew up with my mama. You knew what guilt was. But if, you, if that's not your thing. But there are very few people I've met in life who haven't said, there comes a time when I feel empty. And, and you, can, you can do all kinds of stuff, but at the end, it just doesn't feel like it's never enough. You're going through the motions. You just can't achieve enough. You can't accomplish enough. You can't earn enough. You just can't. And we need to be rescued from that. So redemption always begins with rescue. Second thing redemption does, it always involves a ransom. It always involves ransom. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, ransom means that there's a price to be paid, a price to be paid for our rescue. So rescue and ransom go together, but they're two different things. Redemption carries a price tag. It's a ransom. It's interesting because there are a couple of different words in the Bible that get translated into the English word redemption. One of those comes from the marketplace. You go there, you want to buy a thing, it has a price, you pay the price, you buy it. So you're redeeming it for your money. That's the idea. That's one of the ways the word is used. The second place it comes from is a different market. It came from the slave market because slavery was very much a part of the life of the first century when the New Testament was written. And here's the thing, you know, you, you needed money to release a slave to freedom. You needed money to purchase a prisoner of war, to, to release 
something like that, uh, to buy back a person, something that's rightfully owned by you or someone else. You have to buy it back. This gets into the Old Testament teaching about the, the Goel, the, the kinsman redeemer. So I want to give thanks, a shout out to Audrey who led the small group study Friday night with an awesome teaching on this. If you're missing that, I'm telling you folks, get your ticket, get it early, come on and join us, okay? It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And so this redeeming, buying back. See, we were made by God and we were made for God. And we belong to Him by virtue of creation. He breathed into us the breath of life. And we paid it back by choosing a different path. We became lost. We became ruined. We were taken captive. And we need to be bought back. A ransom has to be paid. And do you want to guess where the funds come from for that? Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 7, and I'm going to emphasize a couple of important words. You're following along, please. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved bought back. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are bought back by the great love for the God who is rich in mercy, who has incomparable riches of His grace. That's where the funds, the resources come from to buy us back. Or here's another soul-gripping verse, 1 Peter 1.18, for you know it was not with perishable things, not silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. See, that's the part we looked at earlier, the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But he's saying, that, look, that couldn't be done. The ransom couldn't be paid with perishable stuff. That's what you're all used to, going out and buying people off with your gold and your silver and your stuff, and, and it won't work. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. See, when we hear the word ransom, I mean, we immediately think about money. But folks, there is no amount of money that can ransom us back, that can rescue us from the darkness, from the emptiness, from the wickedness, from the guilt. There is no earthly currency at all. Not good works, good deeds, not religion, not sincerity. None of those things can buy you back. Only the death of Christ provided by God's love, mercy, and grace can pay that price. The precious blood of Christ. You see, redemption took place for us at the cross. That was the price Christ paid for your redemption and mine. It was, it was the ransom. It was this payment that was the very reason Christ came to earth in the first place, right? You remember His own words from Mark chapter 10, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life a ransom for many. That's what he came to do. 
in just a couple of weeks. It's going to be Veterans Day. And many of you will probably do what, what I like to do on Veterans Day. I like to watch army movies. I like to remember, to think about sacrifices that have been paid by the men and women who have served our country, to be inspired, to be encouraged, to be given some hope. There are days when I feel beaten down about our country and some of the things that go on, and it takes a a good movie to remember that people sometimes have made tremendous sacrifices for you and I to have the freedoms that we enjoy. And of course, one of the best of all time, probably, Saving Private Ryan, right? There was an army captain, John Miller, he and a small squad of soldiers, they're sent behind enemy lines to rescue a soldier named James Francis Ryan, saving Private Ryan. His three brothers have already been killed in other military action. And so this squad is given the mission of going and finding that one and getting him out of harm's way, getting him off the front lines. To find Private Ryan, get him out of the way, get him back to his mother in the States. And they accomplish their mission, right? But it costs the captain his life. Most of the others in his team, they laid down their lives to fulfill the mission and to redeem this one to get him back to where he was supposed to be. You see, that when, in Hollywood, they, they talk about that as the Savior theme line, right? The storyline. Somebody has to pay the price. Somebody has to be the one to bring you back. And it's one thing to watch a movie. It's another thing to know that this is what Jesus did for you and you and you and you and you and me, and he has done it for billions across the ages and is continuing to offer that grace to us. But there is a ransom to be paid. Only Jesus can do that. He gave his life a ransom for many. And then thirdly, redemption always involves restoration. You see, the goal of restoration is always to recover what's been lost, to restore what's been ruined, to return what has been taken captive. See, God has not rescued us. He has not ransomed us so that we can go on doing the same old garbage that we've been doing before. That's not what it's here for messing up our lives, wandering into darkness, getting buried under guilt. That's why I get so mad at churches that spend so much time burying people under guilt, and I try to structure my preaching and talk about the grace of the gospel so that that is not where we end up, because that's not a part of the liberty that Jesus came to give. That's a part of the oppression that Jesus came to destroy. Now, when you, when you consider that this New Testament, this story of Jesus and, and the time after him in Acts and the letters of Paul, that this was a time of ridiculous slavery in the world. As Jonathan pointed out to us a few weeks ago, unfortunately, numerically speaking, as far as we are aware of, there's more slavery in the world today than ever before. But at this particular moment when the Bible was written, it was at a peak in terms of percentage of population that was shocking. And so the Bible uses the language of slavery. It talks about us being in bondage. It talks about us being prisoners of our own foolishness, slaves to the old reckless ways of the world. And folks, a slave is powerless to redeem himself or herself. 
And in the same way, we could not for a moment do this for ourselves. We cannot redeem ourselves. We can't help ourselves. We can't save ourselves. But God sent his son into the spiritual slave market so that we could be rescued and ransomed and restored. We have been bought with a price. He went looking for us, and he found us, and he paid the price, and he brings us home to his heavenly Father. He breaks the shackles from our hands and from our feet, and he declared, unbelievably, he declares us to be nothing less than sons and daughters of God. Jesus is the firstborn, and we are his brothers and sisters. What a ridiculous idea that God has made real by our redemption. All the rights and privileges are yours and yours as children of God because of redemption. And here's the good news. What God has done for us, he will one day do for all of creation. Romans 8 says this, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Someday, everything on earth and everything in heaven will be restored to their original splendor, to what God had in mind when he created it in the first place, for his glory and for our good. And all this is possible for one reason, because God sent a redeemer. God is a redeeming God. And that brings us to our final word on your note page today. Redemption always leads us to Christ because that's how it happens. This is the big takeaway from our big word this week because of our big God. You see, because God is a redeemer, I can be set free and you can be free. To many of us, it's obvious. Doesn't everybody know that God's a redeemer, that he's a savior? You'd think, but no, it's not as obvious as you might think. As we've said many times, we are so grateful to God. He put us in a place and at a time where we get to enjoy being a multicultural church. Folks from all over the world with ethnic and cultural and economic and geographic and all kinds of diversity. We live in a part of our country that respects and protects the rights of people to speak their minds and their opinions. It's crazy. I think I actually have more interactions during the week with people who don't know Christ than people who do. And that used to be next to impossible for a preacher. It just seemed like you always lived in a religious bubble. But I get out and about my neighborhood and talk to people and find out, while well, there are a lot of wonderful people in the world, I, you know, there, many of them don't know Christ at all. People Sometimes it's people who claim to follow Christ still don't share a biblical perspective of who this Redeemer is. Now, I want to be very clear about something because this bothers some folks when we start talking about this distinction. I want to be very clear. I don't hate anybody. I don't hate people who have different religious opinions or thoughts from me, different beliefs. I, I don't 
contrary to what your belief may be about how preachers are, I do not engage in fiery confrontational evangelism with my neighbors while I'm out jogging. When I'm out walking the dog and meet a neighbor, my first question is not, do you know the four spiritual laws? That is not how you approach people. That is not how you engage people in conversation. Uh, you know, I, and I don't hate them for it. I, I, I do not make it my responsibility to say, well, I love you as my neighbor, but just be aware, I'm going to consign you to the deepest, darkest corner of hell because you don't believe like I do. No, that's not my job. Who am I to condemn anybody in that sense, folks? That's just silly. So quit running around thinking, I can't talk about Jesus because if I do, I'm consigning people to hell just because they're different from me. No, you're not. You don't have that authority. Who the heck do you think you are? I'll tell you who you are if you're a child of God. You know the answer. You know Jesus. And I want to know, who the heck do you think you are that you don't share the answer? Holy cow. This is what we've got to take seriously, my brothers and sisters. It it is dangerous to the point of eternity to not understand the Bible teaches. Bible teaches there is no redemption apart from Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. And I've, I, it, I'm, I'm amazed at times that I can go out and talk to, to clergy people who are a little confused about this. Because <laughs> you start to use the word salvation and redemption and they say, well, what do you think we need to be saved from? And I'm thinking, you went to seminary and you didn't read your Bible at all? You don't know what we need to be saved from? And they have a very different understanding of salvation than the one the Bible describes, different from what we have seen today coming right out of the Bible. And, and, and it's not unusual, folks, in a place like this that's multicultural. We, guests, we're so pleased. If you're our guest today, thank you for coming. But we'll have guests sometimes who'll come up to me afterwards and say, I, well, you got nice people at this church. And, and, and I, you know, I, I'm just in town for a few weeks. I just want you to know, uh, I, I, I'm so, so glad. Uh, all good people going to heaven, as long as you give it your best and believe what believes that you seem to be really sincere. I, I want you to understand something. I'm not counting on the sincerity of my beliefs to get me anywhere. I'm counting on the truth of God's word to get me saved. That's, that's, it'd take all of that and more. It, take, it, it takes Jesus to get Ed Williams saved, I can tell you that. It's not me trying to be a good person. Folks, we were created by a good God to be good people, to do good things, but that does not have anything to do with our salvation. It's a result of what Christ does in us that that happens once we are redeemed. This is why we need a redeemer, someone who can rescue us from the mess that we've made of things. So I have saved the best known verses of our passage for the end today, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're saved by grace. God has work for you to do. Being a good person is great. It's important. Doing good stuff is important. It's great. But it's only possible because of God's overall plan to redeem the whole world, including you and me and making that redemption 
available. Redemption. It's a big word. We need a redeemer. And praise God, there is one. Jesus Christ, God's own son. 